I do this because I want the fans to know that Elvis was not a druggy, fat guy whose career was going downhill. I want him to know that he was actually a hero, that he saved lives, that, you know, I feel like it's kind of an obligation at this point that I think the fans should know the true Elvis. Ladies and gentlemen, The thing is, what kind of powers are you going up against? If Elvis is in witness protection program, then it's the government's job to make sure he stays safe and hidden. So how much power are you actually fighting? You're fighting possibly the federal government. You're fighting Elvis Presley Enterprises because they're certainly making a lot more money with him being dead than they would be if he hadn't died. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not amazed at things that I find dealing with this investigation. We had uh, the Presley Commission, the Presley Report, and I feel like I was carrying the torch on for these people. And so I came up with the Presley assignment because I feel like it's an assignment that I need to complete. You know, I don't say things that I can't back up with some kind of documentation or photographs or something. So I know that I have myself covered, but they have turned it into a joke. So most of the world that, that only hears what they want them to hear, that don't really dig in and investigate, they think that I have to be crazy. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 8. On this edition of the program, we are going to go where so many other programs fear to tread as we dare to explore one of the most maligned and ridiculed, but also under-discussed and overlooked Stories in all of Esoterica, the Elvis Death Hoax Theory, with our guest, Mickey Moran, who has been studying the case for over 25 years and helms the website, The Presley Assignment. Over the course of this massive conversation, we are going to learn about why Elvis would fake his death in the first place and the evidence that Mickey believes proves that Elvis faked his death. We'll also hear about Elvis's dealings with the DEA, DNA testing, a pool house photo which purports to show a post-death Elvis, odd Elvis autopsy details, and witnesses who report eerie interactions with Elvis and his inner circle both before and after his alleged death. Beyond that, we're also going to go meta in the latter half of this program and explore the Is Elvis Alive movement. We're going to trace its evolution from August 16, 1977 up to the present day. And over the course of that discussion, we'll learn about all of the various twists, turns, highs, and lows which the community has seen as well as the many colorful characters who have populated the movement over the last 35 years. 
All together, this is a comprehensive edition of the program, which will provide BOA audio listeners with an intense education on a truly unconventional subject that has been almost criminally discounted from the modern esoteric canon, the Elvis Presley death hoax, with Mickey Moran, the man behind the Presley assignment. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Mickey Moran, please allow me to take a moment and provide you with some background on him. Having a unique love and appreciation for the music of Elvis Presley from a very young age, Mickey Moran has always been a devoted fan of the king of rock and roll. But after reading Gail Brewer Giorgio's book, Is Elvis Alive?, some 25 years ago, Mickey has been on a quest to finally answer the question once and for all. Did Elvis Presley actually fake his death on August 16, 1977? Using the far-reaching power of the Internet and his own investigative abilities, Mickey has devoted much of his life in pursuit of that question and debunking those frauds who would either claim to be the man himself or know the man in hiding after he left the world stage. Mickey has written a definitive text on the phenomenon of one of the most talked-about conspiracies of the 20th century in the Elvis Presley Encyclopedia, which gathers facts and details from various sources under one cover and acts as a one-stop shop for those wanting to learn more about the events of that day in August 1977. He also hosts his own weekly YouTube show, covering various topics related to the conspiracy, which can be found on YouTube by searching for The Presley Assignment. He also has a Facebook group where he invites discussion on the various aspects of the conspiracy, and, of course, he has his own website at www.thepresleyassignment.com. All one word, pretty simple, thepresleyassignment.com. Check it out. And, with all that said, let's get down to business, my friends, and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on November 12, 2013. Mickey Moran, talking about the Elvis death hoax theory on BOA Audio, Season 8. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio, Season 8. And we are about to embark on what I think will be a much-discussed edition of the program. I am dying to dig into this topic. A couple of years ago, we discussed the Michael Jackson death hoax with Pearl Jr., but that was really the tip of the iceberg. Now we're going to talk about the big daddy of death hoax theories, which is the Elvis Presley death hoax. And it's... Famous. It's been around for ever since August 77, some might say, but certainly right afterwards. And if you're like me, you've heard about this, and often, you know, it gets the short end of the stick. Let's face it, folks. We'll talk about that uh, with our guest here as we get into it. But you've obviously heard of the Elvis death hoax, but if you're like me, chances are you really don't know anything about it. And I've spent quite a bit of time in the last day or so really digging into this in preparation for this conversation and was fascinated by the material there. And hopefully by the time you're done listening to all this, you no longer will say, yeah, I've heard about the Elvis thing, but I don't really know anything about it. You'll know quite a bit about it because our guest is the man behind the website, The Presley Assignment, and he's been looking at this 
for quite some time, decades, folks, since around 1988. He's been looking into the Elvis death hoax conspiracy, and he's got a wealth of information about this whole story. And as I said, probably as you can tell just from my voice so far, I am very excited about exploring this topic with him. Mickey Moran, welcome to BOA Audio. Let's get down to business, pal. Thanks for having me on your show. I am also excited to be doing this. Excellent. That makes two of us then, right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we generally start out the program with the standard bio background. You know, tell me who is Mickey Moran? How did you get interested in all this? How did you gravitate towards, you know, the Elvis death hoax theory? Sure. Um, When I was eight years old, which was the summer after Elvis supposedly passed away, uh, my family took me to Graceland on vacation. The uh, Graceland Mansion, of course, was not open to the public yet, but you could walk past the graves. Um, they had a lot of memorabilia. Uh, we got to uh, go around Memphis. We actually went to Elvis's birthplace down in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I became a huge Elvis fan on that day mm-hmm. when I was eight years old. Uh, for the next 10 years, I was just a huge Elvis fan. I listened to his music all the time, watched his movies. Uh, but when I was 18 years old, uh, my best friend came to my house knowing what an Elvis fan I was. And this was shortly after graduating from high school. And he came and told me about this book, Is Elvis Alive? Uh, that was written by Gail Brewer Giorgio. And he told me a little bit about what was in the book. He had read it. And um, he really captured my attention. I sat down and read this book in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And some of the points that were made even way back then, of course, so much more has been discovered since 1988. But even way back then, there were so many points that, that she made that pointed to Elvis being alive. So I became fascinated with this. So I started doing this when I was 18. I've been doing this for 25 years, and there's not a day that goes by that I'm not amazed at things that I find dealing with this investigation. Yes, it's fascinating. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I said at the beginning, it gets the short end of the stick sometimes, well, most of the time in the uh, you know paranormal conspiracy community, but it's pretty interesting stuff. Let's bring folks, I guess, up to speed. We've done the bio in the background. Let's bring them a little bit up to speed because... Elvis, you know, whether or not he died, the the mainstream says he died in 1977, which is 35 years ago. So we're we're coming at listeners here who probably may have been born, you know, not even in 77, halfway there. You know what I'm saying? We got we got like 15 year old listeners <laughs> listening to the program who who to them Elvis is is uh, you know more myth than man. So I guess talk a little bit about the official version of events, and then we'll get into contrasting it with what you believe really happened. You know, give us a little thumbnail for for the youngsters, you know, on who Elvis was. Because I, I kind of liken it. Uh, I, I was talking to a young cousin of mine trying to explain sort of just the, the Michael Jackson mania of, of the 80s. But Elvis, you know, dwarfed all that. So it's it's interesting, you know, to sort of bring people up to speed on, on what his uh, trajectory was like. And then, and then we'll visit his death. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the primary point that got this whole thing started uh, back in the day was that someone noticed that Elvis's middle name was misspelled 
on his grave marker at Meditation Garden in Graceland. And, uh, of course, Elvis was born, Elvis Aaron Presley, with his middle name being spelled A-R-O-N. And that's on his birth certificate, his uh, army induction papers, his marriage license to Priscilla, all of his important documents, all of his uh, son record contracts, everything was A-R-O-N. But someone noticed that his grave marker at Graceland was spelled A-A-R-O-N. That got the conspiracy started. That's the first point that everyone noticed back then. Later it was discovered that not only is Elvis's middle name misspelled at Meditation Garden, but so is his twin brother, Jesse, who was stillborn. Uh, he has a grave marker at Graceland. Now, his grave is empty. Uh, it is just a memorial marker because Jesse is actually buried in Tupelo, Mississippi. But they put a marker up for him at Graceland. Okay. Now, Jesse's birth certificate and everything that you've ever seen written about Jesse is spelled J-E-S-S-E. But the memorial marker at Graceland is J-E-S-S-I-E. Now, weird. The belief... Uh, is that, you know, Jesse's grave is empty. We know that at Meditation Gardens. And we believe that it's a hint that the misspelled markers are meaning empty grave. Oh, I They're not buried there. So uh, that's what got the whole thing started back in the day. And, of course, so much has, you know, transpired since then. Oh, yeah. This, when, this, this story has its... its uh... <laughs> It's an amazing story. Just the the Elvis death hoax theory is a, is an amazing story. So yes, we'll, we'll, this is amazing stuff. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. You. Go ahead. <laughs> but you know, Elvis was born January the eighth, nineteen thirty five. Now, on January the tenth, nineteen thirty five, a birth certificate was issued with his name spelled A A R O N, just as it is on his grave marker. But uh, Elvis's parents, uh, Vernon and Gladys, did not want it spelled that way. So a new birth certificate was issued two days later on January the 12th, 1935, with the correct spelling of A-R-O-N, which voided the first birth certificate. Now, Elvis, people that, that understand Elvis, and I'm going to tell you, try to make you understand, Elvis... I always felt such a strong connection to his twin that was stillborn. And because the twin didn't get to live, and because Elvis had two birth certificates with two different spellings of his middle name, he always felt that he had two destinies to fulfill, one for himself and one for his brother. Now, one of these destinies was entertainer that we all know, and the other one we will get into, I'm quite sure, in this uh, interview is his uh, love for law enforcement, which is going to play a big deal in what we're going to discuss today. Okay. Uh, that is another huge point that we need to dig into some. Absolutely, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. get into that. So I guess uh, just to, re to revisit the, uh, the, the, the jumping off point here from earlier, I guess tell me – what the mainstream tells us happened to him that night that he died. He was a kind of a, from my understanding, again, I was born two years after the events of uh, August 1977, almost uh, two and a half years. So, uh, you know, what what do they say happened? He, uh, my understanding, this is the big joke that he died on the toilet. So it's just kind of a sad uh, 
thing about it all. But I guess yeah. what, what do they say happened? With, he, my understanding was that he was sort of in a career tailspin, or he sort of wasn't, you know, he he, he needed a comeback, if you will, uh, and and then he died, you know, eerily similar to how the whole Michael Jackson thing kind of unfolded. Correct. Uh, well, there are so many different stories about what happened August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven, the day he supposedly died, and the night before uh, on August the fifteenth. So basically. Uh, there are a lot of different stories here, a lot of timeline mix-ups of stories. But basically, uh, Elvis went to the dentist late night on August the 15th. Uh, there are no dental records to show this, but I'm telling you the story that we're told is he went to the dentist about mm-hmm. 10 p.m. on August the 15th, 1977. Now, he was wearing his DEA jogging suit, which we will get into that when he went out to go to the dentist, and there were pictures of him returning to Graceland, driving his car with his DEA jogging suit on when he was coming back. And the, he got back. Most accounts tell us it was somewhere between midnight and 2 a.m. Nobody has been able to pinpoint exactly the time, but he came back through the gates of Graceland, and he went in, and he invited a couple of people over, uh, to be with him and Ginger to play racquetball at the racquetball court there at Graceland. Mm-hmm. They played some racquetball, then he went and sang some songs on the piano, and then in the early morning hours, uh, maybe around 4 a.m., we're told, uh, they went up to the, him and Ginger went to the bedroom and read for a while, and then about 9 a.m., of course, Elvis always stayed up all night and slept all day. That was his routine. So about 9 a.m., he went into the bathroom, to read so that he could turn out the lights in the bedroom so Ginger could sleep. So he goes in there to read. Uh, he did have a black lounge chair in there that he used for reading most of the time. So we don't know if he was on the toilet. We don't know if he was in the black lounge chair. Yeah. But he did have a lounge chair in there. That's where he did his reading. And about 2 p.m., Ginger wakes up from her sleep, notices Elvis is not in the bed. She goes to check on him. And then there's like 25 different stories as to how she got <laughs> yeah. help upstairs, and yeah. it, gets, it gets really crazy at that point. Uh, but she found the body, and yeah, he's dead at this point. You know, that's yeah, I guess he's that's dead the, at this yeah. point. So yeah, that's the official story. Of course, there's so many different curves here that you can take as to what the story was. Right, exactly. We uh, kind of had to establish the baseline though for folks yeah. as, we, as we get into this. <laughs> Now, first of all, what's going on with the weird dentist visit? Uh, who goes to the dentist at 10 at night? I guess if you're a super rich celebrity, you can, but otherwise, why? Uh, well, the, the, here, here, this is where we run into problems. You have Elvis's stepbrother says that he had a loose crown that he had to go get fixed. Uh, another story uh, from one of the members there at Graceland was he had a filling uh, a cavity that needed to be filled. Um, one person said he needed his teeth cleaned because he was leaving the next day to go on tour. Um, and then the, the dentist himself, the doctor, says he filled uh, two cavities and cleaned his teeth. So we don't know exactly. <laughs> Weird. Uh, those are the stories that we've been told. So... But he was so okay. So now I just picked up another bit here. So now he's going on. He's supposed to go on tour literally the next day, and and but they 
but they find yeah. him dead. Weird. Right. The day they find him, he was to leave on tour. They were, everyone was packed, ready to get on a plane, and he was leaving to go on tour. See, like all of the, the synchronicity, the serendipity of it all makes it all very suspicious, too. It's very odd. Now, okay, so we've established the mainstream version of all this. Now, what do you think actually happened? What do you think was going down there, you know, in August of 77 when this happened? August of 77, uh, Elvis was involved in some very deep, uh, which we haven't discussed yet. He was involved in some very deep undercover work with the federal government. Yeah, you've been teasing this already. I can tell yeah. that this is a big linchpin <laughs> of your work. So, let's, yeah, let's let's find out about this. Elvis was receiving multiple death threats from several popular organizations of the time. You're talking Black Panthers, uh, Weathermen Underground, Mafia. We're, he was getting some very serious death threats because of his involvement with um, the federal government. Uh, Elvis actually had a undercover agent that traveled with him for about two years that uh, posed as a member of his band because he was working in sting operations. Yeah. So in August, uh, he was receiving so many death threats, and these are available. You can see a lot of these in the FBI files on Elvis. There are 663 pages of FBI files on Elvis that are available to download for free from my website. And you can see a lot of the death threats that he was getting, and again, not not just against himself, but against Priscilla and little Lisa Marie, who was nine years old at the time. Yeah. So I think I think he had to go into hiding to save some lives. Hmm. Is it possible? Now let's let, let's twist it around though. Where he's getting these death threats, he dies. Is it possible there's a connection there? Uh. Well. Maybe he's poisoned or something. Who knows? You know, so, you yeah, know I'm, well, sure you've, I'm sure you've been asked this question about a thousand times. But <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've actually looked into that. But there are so many things pointing to him living past August 16, okay. 1977, that I don't see that as a possibility. There was a 2020 special done that Geraldo Rivera did that uh, looked into Elvis being murdered. Well, you can't trust Geraldo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what happened when he opened the safe, right? Maybe. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so there's yeah, too, too many saying. things to, pointing to him still being alive after that date for it, for, for me to lean toward murder on that, so. Okay. Well, yeah, you point that out, and then, then there's a man, and the, the website, uh, elvisconspiracy.webs.com is fantastic. It, I, like I said, I've spent quite a bit of time digging into this, and I, I'm sure I only really scratched the surface because, uh, my time was limited before we got a chance to talk, but I, I, I dove in both feet first. Um, <laughs> for real, and I think the folks listening definitely should too, because it's awesome stuff. And you say that in, in there that Elvis did have many reasons to fake his death beyond the, uh, beyond the mob thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, Elvis, Elvis is, uh, he, his, everybody knows, has heard the stories of Elvis's drug use and drug abuse and all of these things. These things were so highly exaggerated. And in 1977, Elvis fired several members of his entourage, the Memphis Mafia, uh, because he felt that he couldn't trust them anymore. So, they got together and wrote a book called Elvis, What Happened, and man, did they they totally exaggerated so many things about his drug use. Elvis actually admitted on stage one time in front of a live audience, and I think this is out there on YouTube actually, that 
he was a federal agent. He was not into drugs the way the media was making him out to be. That he would not be allowed to carry a badge if he was doing all of these drugs. This was so highly exaggerated. But he was extremely worried about his image because of people believing about the drugs, his weight gain. Of course, he was very vain about his looks. He had gained some weight. He was... He hadn't had a number one hit song in several years. He he just, Elvis actually said one time, a quote of his is, I don't want to be up on some stage when I'm 40 singing Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he had several reasons that he was ready to break away. Uh, the death threats were part of it. and But he had a lot of things weighing on his mind at that time. Right, right. I can imagine. I mean, there, we're talking about the late 70s. Uh, Elvis was really big in the 60s, of course, but... A lot of the stars from from the previous decade were kind of faltering toward the end of the 70s. You know, you see right. a lot of uh, the ones who survived and made it had really terrible uh, down periods in the 80s and stuff, especially, you know, with the MTV. It blew away all the uh, classic rock, if you will. So I can imagine uh, he was sort of facing the same looming future that befell a lot of these other uh, stars. Exactly. You know? He felt that. Exactly. Like, look at Paul McCartney. He was in Wings in the 80s. You know, Elvis probably probably didn't want to mix up in that kind of scenario. Um, On the Elvis Mysteries section on the thing, you point out a couple of, on the webpage, uh, you point out a couple of interesting ones that were really intriguing. You say here, uh, two hours after Elvis' death was announced publicly, a man who reportedly looked remarkably like Elvis purchased a ticket for Buenos Aires, paid in cash, and used the name John Burroughs, the name Elvis had used as an alias, several times before. Where where does this come from? That's amazing stuff. Yeah, that is amazing stuff. This actually came from two sources. Uh, one was uh, Gail Burr Giorgio, when she was doing her investigation, uh, ran across this information, and also a uh, veteran police detective investigator named Monty Nicholson uh, discovered this at the same time. They both actually wrote books on this, and they had never met each other, and their books were almost identical. So Weird. Uh, it is really interesting to read both of those. But the thing is, you know, Elvis had written a letter to President Nixon uh, while he was on a flight with American Airlines to go see President Nixon. He was so confident in being who he was, he thought, I can just fly to the White House and I can go in and see the president. And so he wrote this letter to President Nixon saying uh, he wanted to be a federal agent at large. He was very concerned with the uh, the hippie movement and the, the drug movement of the time. This was in 1970. And he wrote a five-page letter that got him invited into the Oval Office. But on this letter, he wrote, I'm staying at the Washington Hotel, rooms, such and such and such and such, under the name John Burroughs. So we have evidence this was an alias that he used, and someone using the alias John Burroughs purchased this ticket. So it all just kind of flows together, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way of putting it. That's kind of how I, what I noticed as I read more and more about this. Uh, I mean, that's just one little tidbit. There's tons of stuff here. There's tons of really weird uh, evidence, let's say, that Elvis faked his death. Talk a little bit, talk about, you know, I'm sure you get confronted with this all the time. So, you know, it's sort of a softball question, but it's also the one I'm sure you have to answer all the time. But what is the best evidence for this? So people can fire back if they 
if they get confronted with this question, if, if, if you know, if, if the subject comes up, what is the best evidence here that, that this actually went down? Best evidence mm-hmm. is DNA testing. Okay. I can go into that for you. Uh, in 1997, a man named Bill Beanie, who owned the Elvis is Alive Museum up in Wright City, Missouri, he had been into this Elvis is Alive thing for quite a while. I mean, he had put a museum together. He had recreated the, the casket, scene, everything in this museum. And he had been convinced for a long time Elvis was alive, but he wanted to prove it to himself. He wanted solid evidence. Right. So he had a DNA test performed, and this was turned in as a paternity suit. He did not say, you know, I'm running the DNA of Elvis. Elvis's name was not used. It was actually sent through as uh, Aaron Civil. And all of the LabCorp reports uh, that show the results of the test are on my website. But he wanted to prove to himself uh, that Elvis was alive. So he went to Baptist Memorial Hospital in Memphis, which is where Elvis went when he needed treatment for anything. Uh Elvis had had a liver biopsy done in 1975 at Baptist Memorial Hospital. And the samples are there, and they're labeled and they're controlled you know, circumstances. He goes there, and this is also the same hospital that performed the autopsy on the body that we have been told was an autopsy on Elvis. Okay. He had the 1975 liver biopsy tissue tested against the body they did the autopsy on, tissue from this. Right. Let me stop you one second. How did he get his hands, because how did he just show up at the hospital and get get, get the access to this uh, material? He didn't go there to get the access. A doctor did this for him. Okay. Uh, he had a doctor do this, and it it's actually in Bill Beanie's book about the doctor and everything. Isn't that illegal? Um, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm just trying to, like, figure, wrap my mind around how this all went down. Like, how did, well, you know, didn't, like, shouldn't the doctor go to jail for, like, isn't that kind of some kind of theft or something? Well, back back then I thought the same way. I thought, well, you know, how did he do this? Maybe he faked it. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you how. I don't think okay. that's the case here in a second. Um, but anyway, he had these tested, and they did not match. The Elvis's tissue from his liver biopsy did not match the body they did the autopsy on. And for five years, from 97 to 2002, the world that knew about this, the people that knew about this, thought, okay, Bill Beanie faked this in order to get business at his museum, mm-hmm. to sell a book. Whatever. But in 2002, Fox News picked up on this. And they went to the hospital. And if you look on my YouTube channel, I have the actual news broadcast. It shows them going into the hospital. It shows them getting the labeled sample off of the, you know, shelf or whatever at the hospital. Right. And if it was illegal, I don't think Fox News would have broadcast it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sure, there's. <laughs> All right. Sure, there are. <laughs> I'm sure there are some certain stages you can go through to get this done legally. So Yeah, maybe the hospital was like, listen, we'll do it if you all just stop. You know, maybe they thought yeah. they could put an end to all this by exactly. participating. <laughs> okay, yeah. But anyway, Fox News did a three-way DNA test because there's a gentleman out there uh, that calls himself Jesse, which is Elvis's twin brother's name that was stillborn, and he says he's really Elvis Presley. And he has some people convinced that he's Elvis Presley. 
And there's a website about that out there, all dedicated to this Jesse character. And we'll have him on next week. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. find him. Yeah, I want to talk to this guy. But <laughs> uh, they did a three-way DNA test. They asked Jesse, Fox News asked Jesse mm-hmm. to send in some DNA samples of himself. So he sent in a pair of blue jeans that had blood on them. And he also sent in a fingerprint card of his fingerprints. So Fox News did a three-way DNA test. They did Jesse against the 1975 liver biopsy of Ellis and then against the body they autopsied. All three were different. There was no match in any of those. And they tested uh, Jesse's fingerprint card. They matched it to Elvis's fingerprint card and no match. So I don't know who this Jesse guy is, but I do know that there have been two DNA tests that show Elvis did not match the body they autopsied, and one was done by Fox News. So I, you know, I know that one was done legitimately. So okay. it backs up what Bill Beeney did way back in '97. Here's a weird question. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you spend well. I'm positive that you spent a long time pondering this, much longer than I have. If we follow that narrative, then there's a body somewhere that they somehow got to uh, to do the autopsy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of blows up the whole idea of uh, that they just faked it and didn't have a body at, at hand uh, to pass off to some kind of medical authority. So do you have any theories on, you know, the? Uh, I'm sure you don't know specifically who the person was <laughs> that they used, the was. but uh, do you have any theory on how that all went down? Well, I do believe that there was a, a double body used in place of Elvis, even at Graceland. And the reason I believe that, there were uh, two paramedics with unit number six in Memphis that were called to Graceland on August 16, 1977. The uh, two paramedics was uh, Ulysses Jones and Charlie Crosby. Both of these men said that it was not Elvis on that bathroom floor when they got to Graceland. So I believe there was a, a body used that they were hoping to fool people with. Hmm. But, you know, the autopsy itself that was performed on this body, the stomach contents were destroyed pre-autopsy. There were no photographs taken. There were no dental imprints taken. There were no fingerprints taken. They did not want this body to be identified. All we have is the word of the coroner at this point Hmm. as to who that was. Weird. So I do believe there was a double... Uh, there's too many stories as to who the double could have been to even try to pinpoint anybody. But, okay. But so, the, yeah, I presume there are stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I'm loving this so far, so bear with me. <laughs> if I interrupt you, it's just because I'm so excited I want to get to another question on these things. Okay, so but that all went down. The DNA stuff went down, as you said, like in the late 90s. So talk a little bit about the clues and stuff and the and the evidence that emerged in the in the two decades between the alleged death and the DNA testing, because that's really what fueled this whole movement for two decades. Sure. Uh, one of the primary things was Elvis's work in law enforcement. In the 1960s, Elvis became a member of several police organizations. Some were on a city level, some were a county level with sheriff's departments. He had several badges. And as I mentioned, he was very concerned about the drug movement. During the 1960s, Elvis was tied up in movie contracts all the time. And he didn't really, he didn't get to get out and tour or do anything until 1968 when he did his comeback special because 
from the time he got out of the Army in 1960 until he did the comeback special, he was just doing movies and movie soundtracks. So a lot of other groups came out and took over what he considered his music, which was rock and roll. Right, right. He was sort of the bridge between uh, up until like the, the Beatles and everything, right? Right, right, exactly. And he was very concerned about the reputation rock and roll was getting because all of these new groups coming out were so into drugs, you know, the Woodstock thing. The, mm-hmm. He was very concerned about all this. So he, he got involved with a lot of police organizations. And then in 1970, he wrote the letter to President Nixon uh, when he used the name John Burroughs, and he was invited to the Oval Office. And he asked to be a federal agent at large because he felt that he could get in places that other people couldn't because he would be trusted by these people. Right. So he, the president, Nixon at the time, made him special assistant for the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, which we know today is the DEA. It has changed to DEA. Um, and Elvis got involved in some sting operations. One in particular was Operation Fountain Pen that was ran by a man named Frederick Peter Pro, and you can find his name throughout half of Elvis's files, FBI files on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elvis got involved deeply with this guy trying to bust him, and uh, his organization was called the Fraternity, that he led a bunch of criminals. And uh, Elvis got deep into this, and as I say, I think that's one of the things that that led to him having to go away and hide. But as far as evidence that popped up, there's so much. The uh, the medical examiner's report that was written post-autopsy of the findings that, you know, what they found in the autopsy, this medical examiner's report has been examined by a graphologist named Mr. Wiest, and a video of him talking about this is on my YouTube channel. But he has shown that Elvis actually filled out his own medical examiner's report. It's in his handwriting. Huh. Uh, and he shows how he compares. He actually used the letter that Elvis wrote to Nixon to compare to this medical examiner's report. And he examines the spacing between the letters, the slant of the letters, the shape of the letters. And he's determined that Elvis actually wrote his own medical examiner's report after autopsy. So <laughs> Weird. That's a huge clue, you know? Yeah. I know that you've been digging into the website, so you've probably read about the Lloyds of London insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Elvis had three life insurance policies. Two of those were paid-up policies, which means he owned those. He could cash them in at any time he wanted. And those two life insurance policies were cashed in. There's a third policy through Lloyds of London that was not a paid-up policy. So if it were to be cashed in and the person were still alive, that would be felony insurance fraud. Right. So to this day, this policy has not been cashed in, although at the time of Elvis's passing, Graceland was in huge financial trouble. Uh, they only had $500,000 left to uh, upkeep this house, take care of everything, and you know, they would have cashed in this policy. Right, right. It's not like they, they didn't know about it or anything. Right. <laughs> but did so so by cashing in the ones that were already paid up, they were it wasn't illegal. It wasn't illegal. Elvis owned those. He could have cashed them in. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, but wouldn't I, yeah, it's not fraud if he's even even if it's even if he's faking his death just because they already paid it off. Right. Weird. Yeah, I mean, he could have cashed them. He could have walked in and cashed them in pre, you know. Before. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because he actually owned these policies; they were paid in full. Okay. All right. So. All right. Well, now I thought it was interesting. Uh, you mentioned on the uh, mysteries part that he telephoned a friend of his named Miss Foster and uh, kind of alluded to uh, that he was going to fake his death. Were there sort of clues leading up to all this that you know beyond the Miss Foster call? Of course, tell us that story, but. But, you know, what other sort of stuff uh, were uh, leading into the death that might give us uh, insight into what actually happened? Yes, well, uh, Elvis met a woman named Ellen Foster that reminded him very much of his mother. Um, And they talked on the phone quite a bit after they met. And uh, he felt like he could talk to her. You know, his mother passed away many, many years ago, and... He was looking for someone he could talk to outside of his entourage, and they built a rapport. He trusted her, and they they talked quite a bit. And uh, I think it was the day before uh, he was to go on tour on August 16, 1977. Uh, He had called uh, Miss Foster and told her not to believe the things that she was about to read in the paper, that he was fine. He was not going to be going on his tour tomorrow. And uh, she said, are you sick? And he said, no, I've never felt better in my life. Uh, some things are about to come to an end that I've been waiting for. And and then, of course, later she came out and told the story about this. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a huge clue. He, he said this to a lot of people. I mean, uh, on stage one time he said, you know, I may not look good tonight, but I'm going to look good in my coffin. And <laughs> he said this, said the same thing to his stepbrother. You know, I may not look good today, but I'm going to look good in my casket. Um, he left clues. I mean, yeah. there were hints left around all over the place. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 very uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, strange. Like I said, this thing is very strange. Do you feel any under any pressure in a sense? Like, I, it's always sort of the idea of did he have a plan to come back at some point? And it's sort of like the old time traveler thing. If, if there are time travelers, where are they? If it's like if, if Elvis did fake his death, where has he been the last 35 years? What's he waiting for? Do you think uh, that there's a plan for him to reemerge or no? I think he wants to. Now, of course, I haven't spoken to him. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it, it's my personal belief that he wants to, but he's not sure. You know, there were, there were some pretty uh, – heavy organizations after this guy to kill him. And if he let himself be known now, if, if he really went away because his daughter's life was in danger or Priscilla's life was in danger and he came back now, would he put them back in danger? You know, it's, it's, it's not a point of whether he wants to come back. It's whether he feels safe doing it. Hmm. So. Cause he would only be like in his what, uh, late seventies, uh, eighties or something like 78. that. Eight. Yeah, 78 years old. So, I mean, it's entirely plausible that he could still come back. Um, Oh, yeah. Now, what about his family? Uh, What about sort of not just the family, I guess, but also the close associates? Um, Did any of them – it would be presumed that they would be in on all this. Did they ever give any indication? Did they ever tip their hand a little bit that maybe uh, there was something else going on that, uh, that you're talking about that the mainstream refuses to mention? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of mistakes made. Um. Well, as I mentioned earlier, he fired several of his entourage members uh, right before he passed away. 
um, that had been with him for many, many years. And I think he was cleaning house of the ones that maybe couldn't be trusted with this information uh, so that they wouldn't be around on this day. And then he kept the ones that he thought could be trusted to keep the secret. Now, there have been some that have came forward and and told what happened and then changed their story later, such as uh, Marty Lacker, who was a member of the Memphis Mafia with Elvis, and he was also one of the um, witnesses for Elvis and Priscilla's wedding. He did a story for people, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, that said uh, Elvis was alive, he faked his death, he ran off with a mystery woman named Maria, they sneaked off in the back of a van, uh, and then later he says, oh, I just made that up, <laughs> that was fiction. Uh, so... You know, people, I think people have tried to come forward and then something or someone has changed their mind. You know, Priscilla has made mistakes in, like, uh, interviews. Like, she was on Oprah. She, uh, she, she was talking about Elvis. Now, this was just a couple of years ago, okay? Elvis has been gone, what, 35 years? Right. And she was doing an interview with Oprah and they were talking about how Elvis babied Lisa Marie when she was little and how, um, he bought her too much stuff and all this. And and she was talking to Oprah about Elvis, and she said, you know, he said just the other day, and then she caught herself. <laughs> oh, weird. Yeah. There's a video clip of this on my YouTube channel. Uh, people have made mistakes, and they've corrected themselves. Joe Esposito's never had a story straight since this whole thing started. Um, Who's that? He was one of he was Elvis's road manager and a member of the Memphis Mafia. They called him Diamond Joe. Um, he was supposedly one of the first people to make it to Elvis's body from downstairs of Graceland after Ginger discovered the body. Mm. Uh, now he has told in interviews, and all this is on my YouTube channel. You can watch. I don't hold anything back. So, I mean, he has told that Elvis was found in the bed. Elvis was found in the bathroom floor. Uh, he has told that Elvis was in full rigor mortis and liver mortis and had turned blue, but he's also told that he gave the body CPR and heart massage, which, you know, I think it would be a little late, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he has made so many mistakes over the years that uh, he probably should have just not never been involved in an interview, but, um, he, he, you know, he's made his mistakes. And then, you know, um, I know that you know, the audience may not, that we're talking to, you know about the pool house photo. Yeah, yeah, that's in the notes for later, but we can talk about it now. Okay. The uh, There was a gentleman named Mike Joseph that went on vacation with his family to Graceland for New Year's Eve, 1977, just a few months after Elvis supposedly passed away, and he was taking photos of um, the grounds, the graves, you know, everything. And he put his pictures away, didn't think anything more about it, had his vacation pictures. And about three or four years later, he was going through his photographs, and he noticed a shadow in the doorway of the pool house behind Graceland, right next to Meditation Garden. And he got his son's magnifying glass and started pulling it away from this picture and noticed a silhouette in the doorway. And when he pulled it far enough, he noticed it looked just like Elvis, and he he was actually on. He's on a video on my YouTube channel, also talking about this. And he said, 
oh my God, I can't believe it, I have Elvis Presley on film looking out at his fans walking past his grave. <laughs> and later he changed his story. He said he was on uh, Larry King, I believe. And he said, I never said that. No, I, I don't believe that was Elvis. But I've got the video of him saying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's on my YouTube channel. So, so many people have just changed their stories. And I don't know if they're being uh, paid to change their story, if they're being scared and changing their stories, if they're... I don't, you know, I can, can't speculate there, but it happens a lot. Well, there's a lot of heat involved in this uh, whole theory. I can imagine that uh, they might get enough grief that they're like, uh, they want to, you know, turn or run away from it. So I can I can see that being a motivator as well. Um, now, talk a little bit uh, about the National Enquirer's role in all this, because the, the photo of Elvis in the casket is famous, and I see here in your notes that uh, phone records show that Ginger Alden, Elvis's girlfriend at the time of his alleged death, phoned the National Enquirer one to three hours before calling downstairs for help when she found Elvis in on the bathroom floor, which, if we just separate that from the death hoax theory, is an amazing aspect of all this, because this poor guy, his girlfriend's calling the National Enquirer. Uh, you know, everyone's sort of on the take. Everyone's sort of... Uh, Angling, they all have their own angles in all this uh, to, to probably benefit from all from their association with this guy. It's kind of sad in a lot of ways. Even his girlfriend's selling him out uh, yeah. to the National well, Enquirer. But talk about the the Enquirer's role in all all of this. Absolutely. Well, okay. Yes, there are phone records that indicate that Ginger called from the upstairs phone in the bedroom to the National Enquirer before she called downstairs to speak to. Uh, Al Strada, Joe Esposito, whoever she spoke to, there's a lot of stories. But the picture that showed up on the front of the National Enquirer, first off, National Enquirer is the only publication in the world that was able to get their hands on a picture of Elvis in the coffin, mm -hmm. or whoever was in the coffin. Now, whether Ginger's phone call did that or not, I can't say, but Elvis's cousin, uh, Bobby Mann, was paid by the National Enquirer to sneak a camera in to the funeral because it was ordered no cameras allowed. He snuck a camera in, and that is the one and only photograph we've ever seen of Elvis in the coffin. It's the only one taken. Um, his own cousin took this picture and sold it to the National Enquirer. <laughs> so now, was Ginger in on that? I don't know. Why did she call them? Um, was this all set up? Uh, because Elvis wanted the picture taken. Maybe he wanted it out there so people in the members of the mafia that were after him would really believe he was alive. Maybe he wanted this picture out there. It's hard to say yeah. uh, why that phone call was made, but, yeah, uh, it is very suspicious that that is the one and only publication that was able to get their hands on a picture. It's very weird. You wonder, I guess at the end of the day also, uh, you know, how many people you think in, in August of 77, what's the pool of people you think that actually knew what was really going down with this death hoax if it, if it went down? You know, what, how many people, uh, you know, we're talking five or six. I mean, you can't involve too many people. Right. Yeah, you can't involve too many people. Um, now, I think there are people within Elvis's group that did not know about it when it happened but have been let in on it later. Um, um, I think there are certain people that I think he missed people. You know, <laughs> he had to cut, he had to cut a lot of ties to do this. So in order oh, yeah. to 
in order to get his friends back, there's certain ones he had to trust and let in. Uh, I think some people were let in on it later. I think there are more that know now than knew, you know, on the day that it happened. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Now, how about how about this is a two pronged question? How about whistleblowers regarding the death hoax? If if he let people in, you know, it's presumed that someone would uh, would 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 speak out. But apparently, from what I can gather, no one ever has sort of. Uh, broken the veil and, and, and given the true information about what happened. And additionally, you know, the government would presumably have to know about the death hoax. Do you think, well, well I guess maybe that, that's the question. Did, did, they, did the government know about all this? Uh, okay, yeah, that, let's get to both of those. I okay. told you I was excited, Mickey. I have a, <laughs> I'm going to throw about a thousand and one questions at you, but I find this to be just stunning stuff. So far away. Yeah. Uh, I think, as far as whistleblowers, I think you have certain people that will never tell the truth. I think uh, some of the people that could have told the truth are gone, but they never would have, such as his father Vernon. Uh, I think Priscilla and Lisa Marino. I think uh, uh, Ginger knew. I don't think she'll ever tell. I've actually asked her about it, and she's she won't say anything. She <laughs> she just kind of ignores you. So. Uh, now you have people that have kind of blown the whistle, just like Marty Lacker did in his article for People, but have later changed their stories. Okay. So, you know, maybe they were trying to blow the whistle, and then, you know, something talked them out of it. Um, and then as far as the investigation or the government being involved in this, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. Elvis was a full-fledged DEA agent. I mean, this is common knowledge. This is not anything I'm making up or that's underground or anything. Right. Uh, you know, I wrote to the FBI. They sent me all the information on this, and it's all available on the website. So he was a full-fledged DEA agent. He was involved in the sting operation of Operation Fountain Pen. Uh, the government probably had a lot to do with hiding him. I don't know if he actually went into the witness protection program. I've often wondered if he was just in the Colonel Tom Parker protection program. But I think the government definitely knows what's going on. Um, and I think they helped. Whether he's in the actual witness protection program that they provide or not is up in the air. But I think that they were in on helping him pull this off. Okay, yeah. See, now that I think about it and after hearing what, you, what you're saying now uh – it does stand a reason then the government if the government did know about it they would be colluding with him and then i you know witness protection they wouldn't obviously say anything even now so it's it, it also is interesting to think uh for the folks who who are subscribers to this whole thing that if elvis may be 78 right now it stands to reason that he'll die at some point uh if he doesn't come out of hiding so maybe someday Ten years from now, Elvis really dies at 88, and then they can come out and tell the truth. So who knows? We may actually, this all may actually pan out in the end. Uh, so who knows? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. For the ardent skeptics, wait another, like, 30 years when Elvis is definitely dead, and uh, and, then, and then, then beat the drums about why we don't know for sure yet. Well, you know, the, the full autopsy report, you know, Monty Nicholson, who was the veteran uh, investigator that we talked about that's been involved in this since the beginning, he said in his interview that he has witnessed many, many, many 
autopsies and read many autopsy reports throughout his career. And he said that they are normally 40 to 50 pages long. They detail every single thing. Any bruises found on the body, any, I mean, they detail everything. Now, the report that we have for Elvis is two pages. And it leaves out any important details that you need to know. Now, the full autopsy report uh, has been sealed for 50 years. It was sealed by Elvis's father, Vernon. He ordered the autopsy himself so that it would be a private autopsy so that he could seal that. So it was sealed for 50 years. So in the year 2027, this will have to be released as public records. So who knows what we'll discover in this, you know, who this body actually was. Yeah. Um so we only got to hang on for another 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> I've hung on this long, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you got you got that to look forward to. Well, it's 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 really all very remarkable. Um I kind of had this saved for the end, but but we we I've really felt like I've already gotten sort of a good rapport with you here, Mickey. To smash the fourth wall here a little bit, like how does it feel for you to be really such an ardent supporter of all this? And it's such a, it's, it, I said earlier, I've said it twice already now, you know, it, it's, it's really gets the short end of the stick in the conspiracy and paranormal community. It's like gotta be one of the most ridiculed theories out there by a lot of people and, and in the mainstream media as well. First of all, I guess I have two, now I got another two prong for you. A, how does that feel for you personally? And B, do you think there's any kind of agenda behind that just to completely discredit the story? Yes. Uh, okay, first off, this has been a 25-year uphill battle uh, oh, sure. for me. I mean, it, it, I'm fought in every direction, everywhere I turn. Now, this has been turned into a joke over the years. Now, for instance, Bill, uh, when Bill Bixby did his special in 1992 called The Elvis Files, Bill Bixby, you could tell from his interviews that he was doing on stage, that he was leaning toward Elvis being alive. And, of course, Bill Bixby and Elvis were friends in real life. They did movies together. And he was you could tell he was leaning toward Elvis being alive. Now, two years later, he did another show called The Elvis Conspiracy, where he leaned in the other direction. And at the end of the show, he said, you know, sadly, I believe Elvis passed. And then the second show, they, they kind of turned the conspiracy into kind of a joke like on purpose, the media has done the same thing. This whole thing has been turned into a joke by a lot of people, and it's not a joke. It's a very serious matter, but they have tried to do that. I think they've done this on purpose. So I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall sometimes, oh, yeah. but I know I have solid evidence to back You know, I don't say anything on my website or my YouTube videos. I have a series of YouTube videos of just me talking. I pick a different subject for each one, talking about the conspiracy. And, you know, I don't say things that I can't back up with some kind of documentation or photographs or something. So I know that I have myself covered, but they have turned it into a joke. So most of the world that, that only hears what they want them to hear, they don't really dig in and investigate, they think that I have to be crazy. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, I can imagine it. It must be maddening. Why do you, why do you keep doing it though? Uh, you know, why, why, why do you keep fighting the fight to, to uncover this whole thing? If it's, if you're just getting crap from everybody on one end of the stick and, and, and arguing with people on the other end, you know, at some point you must have sort of been motivated to throw up your hands and be like, well, you know, 
Elvis, if you're gonna come out of hiding or not, dude, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done fighting for your for your name, man. You know, I, I know I didn't become an Elvis fan until I was eight years old when I was taken to Graceland, but somehow I feel like I was born with this passion. I just can't. You know, I do this completely for free. I do this because I want the fans to know that Elvis was not a druggy, fat guy whose career was going downhill. I want him to know that he was actually a hero, that he saved lives, that, you know, I feel like it's kind of an obligation at this point that that I, I let the fans know the truth. And yeah. all of the people that have been scared or paid off, I'm not going to be one of those people I'm around as long as I can be. You know, I wrote a book on the subject called The Elvis Conspiracy Encyclopedia. I wrote this back in 2000. It's on my website. I give it away for free. Just download it. I'm not in this for to make a dime. This is not about getting my name out there. This is just a passion that I have that I think the fans should know the true Elvis. Yeah. And not what media has told us about him, that he was just a fat, overweight druggie that, that died on the toilet, you know. I don't want him to go down that way. <laughs> exactly. Now, you alluded to people being uh, threatened and paid off. Have you personally ever encountered any sort of uh, coercion from any you know, nefarious forces? Yeah, well, a name that I mentioned a few moments ago, which was Marty Lacker, a member of the Memphis Mafia with Elvis, he has... Uh, he's been after me for a long time. He He's constantly telling me, I better shut up. I'm going to wish I had shut up. Uh, he used to say these things right in the Alt Elvis King news group online. So other people, you know, it's a public, forum, a public yeah. forum. So, you know, other people have seen him say these things to me. So he's never, I even went to the Memphis Mafia get together in Memphis back in, I guess it was about 2002. They had an Elvis impersonator do a recreate one of Elvis's shows and then, after the concert, the Memphis Mafia all got up on stage and answered questions from the audience. And Marty recognized me sitting in the audience, and he gave me some dirty looks for even being there. Uh, he would not call on me when I raised my hand with a question because he knew where I was going to go with it. And, you know, he has, he has gave me his subtle hints of threats over the years, but he doesn't bother me. <laughs> or I, wouldn't okay. be, I wouldn't still be doing this, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clearly, you're a brave man, dude. I don't know if I would, uh, if I would go to an event like that. <laughs> Did a lot of people? Was he the only one that recognized you, or were there others there that were like, you know, on your side with this whole thing, or were you just kind of laying low in the shadows a little bit? I was laying low in the shadows. It was just me and my wife at the time. We were vacationing in Memphis and. We bought tickets for this Memphis Mafia get-together, and um, I didn't, like, announce who I was going in or anything. The year that we went to Memphis, everybody knew me when I got there <laughs> just from being online. Yeah. You know? uh, but when I went into this thing, it was just a me in a suit quietly sitting in the there you table. You, know? <laughs> you were looking around the audience looking for Elvis, weren't you? Yeah, probably so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in one's mind at the same time. Well, that's what we're asking you to do. Now, I'm sure if we took a hand vote, most of us believe that Elvis Presley passed away August 16th, 1977. Would you raise your hands? All right. Now, may we see hands for those who think that Elvis may be alive.
Very interesting. Thank you. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. All right, I must say that I was inclined to go along with the first group. But we think that by the end of our program, you too will be able to hold two opposing ideas in your mind. First, that Elvis Presley passed away in 1977, and secondly, that he still may be alive. Let's pivot here a little bit. As I told you uh, before we started the conversation, I wanted to talk about the Elvis death hoax as well as the history of this death hoax theory because, you know, I don't want to compare this to UFOs because uh, we've already kind of talked about how this, this gets the short end of the stick. But I'm always fascinated sort of by the evolution of a movement, if you will. And that's what we have here because there was no Elvis death hoax theory until August 16th, 1977. That's when it, you know, we know the actual birth of the theory. So right. we can kind of follow it over the last uh, 35 plus years and find out the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, how it's changed, the backbiting, the, uh, the rises and falls and all that good stuff. And you've been in this since 88. So, I mean, you've been doing this for 25 years. So you obviously have a firsthand account of uh, what was going on in the trenches of the Elvis death hoax theory. Because there's a lot of people doing this. There's a lot of people looking into this. It's not just... You alone. This this network, a community of people that have uh, looked at it. So I took a look at the timeline on your website, which actually is a fantastic piece of information, which traces the whole history of all this. And I'm going to kind of hit you with some of the some of the interesting sort of uh, ups and downs of all this. Hopefully, you uh, can enlighten us into more about it. Right. I'll certainly try. There we go. <laughs> Sounds good. Now, obviously, it all began on August 16, 1977. I thought it was interesting for starters, that you point out that right away uh, there's this obscure book release called Elvis Presley Dead or Alive that was released by a uh, Tupelo-based private investigator, Will Gima. Just to sort of use that as the, as the seed of all this. At what point, as far as you know, were people talking about the possibility that Elvis faked his death? Was it literally like August 17th, 1977, where the people who, you know, read the news and were like, no, he faked it. It's fake. Like, at what point, when did it all really begin? And actually, there there have been people interviewed that said they had a strange feeling about it immediately, but they did not start talking about it then. The book you're talking about uh, was written by a private investigator in 1977. Mm-hmm. And this book disappeared. Uh, and that's not the first time this has happened. Also, at that same time period, uh, Gail Brewer Giorgio wrote her first book, Orion, which was a book of fiction <laughs> about a um, a singer named uh, Orion Eckley Darnell that uh, rose to fame and faked his death to get away. And then there was another book of fiction, so to speak, uh, called The Presley Arrangement, written by Monty Nicholson. Um, that was about uh, Elvis faking his death, but it was written as fiction. Okay. Now, both of these books disappeared off shelves. Gail was actually paid, I think, $60,000 advance payment from her publisher, and they got this book out on the shelves, and it immediately disappeared. The story is that people in suits came in, bought up all the books from the bookstore, and no new ones were ordered by the bookstores, and which was very strange for them to do when they paid her such a big advance for that day to get this book out there. So who was making these books disappear? The government? We don't know. Uh, but when Orion and the Presley Arrangement first hit the bookshelves, 
some people managed to buy some copies before they disappeared. And the and the talk really started then. It was a little later in 1977 that this really, really took off. And the fire really wasn't lit under it full force for 10 years when Gail started writing non-fiction books about it, which yeah. she thought would be the truth. of. So, you know, it, it took off almost immediately in 77 to some degree, but it really didn't get a fire lit under it hardcore for about 10 years. So, Okay. All right. So what do you make of this, this dude who first wrote the first book? Because 77 is really early. And, and, and just clear this up for me. The Orion book and the other book, that came out. those came out in 77 also, or were they kind of a little bit later? No, they were just a few months later after wow. after this investigator wrote his. And I've never even got to see his. I mean, this one is so obscure that, I mean, it, you, I've never been able to find it. I can't even find somebody with, like, a digital copy of this thing. Now, I do have the book Orion and the Presley Arrangement. How do we – I know this is probably, like, a ridiculous question, but I, I suppose I have to ask it. How do we even know the book exists? How do we – if it's essentially gone, do we know anyone who has a copy of it? I mean – where where where, oh. where where do we know about this book in the first place if no one can find it? Uh, the original uh, private investigator book called Elvis Presley, Dead or Alive? Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I can prove <laughs> Orion and the Presley arrangement exist. I have those, and I, I have the stories about them disappearing from shelves and things. The original book, uh, all we really have to go on is word of mouth about this book huh. because it disappeared so fast um, that – you know, I I really wish I could find a copy of this thing, but I guess that's never going to happen because I haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, you should have you, you haven't tried to track down this guy in Tupelo. I've I've done some searches on on the guy's name. I haven't been able to come up with it. And he has kind of a, you know, last name is. You would think he would be easy to find. It sounds like a fake name anyway. It could be. Yeah. Well, that's okay. So we so we can kind of almost put that to urban legend at this point. That that whole thing. Yeah. But, but you you point out also in the timeline, the pool house photo was taken in 77. So it seems like the spark was lit really early on all this. And then you mentioned that from uh, beginning in 77, all these networks develop, publishing newsletters. Are these newsletters about whether or not Elvis faked his death, or were they just sort of like Elvis fandom newsletters? Uh, no, well, they were – you have Steve Chances. Uh, Gilbert Giorgio, of course, was, all of hers were about Elvis faking his death mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, possibly still being alive. Uh, there was a lady named Mary Smiley. Hers were about, uh, Elvis being alive. And then you have Phil Aitchison, who, who started out back then, who has since become head of the Presley Commission, which is a commission that was put together to prove Elvis was alive. And he is the head of that. And they put out a, like a 200, no, a 300 page report called, uh, uh, the press lead report. Uh, and I have that and it's full of information about, uh, Elvis faking his death and all of the documentation to back that up. So most of those, uh, that came out then were all about Elvis faking his death. That's amazing. This is like the zine. This is like almost the early era of the zine, the zine scene. So, uh, I guess people are putting out these newsletters and with what sharing information, exchanging information about, you know, clues and stuff they've picked up from their research. Correct. Yeah. They, uh, Gail Bird, Giorgio and, and, um, Monty Nicholson were the first two to share information with one another about this whole thing. Uh, and then, uh, Gail and Monty started working with Phil Aitchison, 
who then put the Presley Commission together. And then, you know, the Presley report that they put out, um, it tells you in there how many members there are to this thing that investigated. But it will only give you the names of, like, five of them. And uh, But I do have the report here. Um, but most of them wanted to stay anonymous that were involved in this. I don't even know who all was involved in the Presley Commission. Okay. So clearly, if these guys are putting out newsletters and stuff, this is this is like an underground movement. You know, they're not just writing these newsletters and mailing them to each other. Uh, there's 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 a right. whole <laughs> whole group of people uh, who are trying to figure this all out. Now, into the mix of all this of all this weirdness comes Jimmy Ellis, who's a a, a character throughout the entire uh, saga. So, talk a little bit about Jimmy Ellis and how he figures into the Elvis death hoax. Absolutely. Okay. I told you I did my homework on this one, Marty. You you really did. I am I'm impressed. Okay. <laughs> Jimmy Ellis, when he first came out, nobody knew his real name. Nobody knew he was Jimmy Ellis. He wore a mask on stage and he went by the name Orion, which of course was the same as Gail's book about Elvis being alive. Mm-hmm. And he sounded just like Elvis, I mean, uh, if anybody wants to go to YouTube and just type in Orion or Jimmy Ellis, he's all over the place now. But, and you can listen to him, watch him perform. But back then, he was just this guy that popped up. Nobody had a clue who he was. He, his only name was Orion, and he wore a mask on stage. He sounded like Elvis. He had the uh, uh, loud, fancy costumes like Elvis. And there were a lot of fans that went to his concerts, probably because he reminded them of Elvis. Right. But a lot of fans went to his concerts, and several had mentioned that Orion would leave the stage. He would be all sweaty, his armpits, his back, you know, would be sweaty. He would walk off stage for a moment and come right back, and his costume would be dry, and he would start right into the next song, and then he would leave stage, come back, and it would be the original guy again. And there, you know, there was speculation during all of this time that, uh, Elvis found a way to perform again by using, by switching places on stage with Orion. Uh, one fan wrote, um, that she ran onto Orion's bus one time and there were two Orions in the back of the bus. One of them got up and ran into the bathroom. <laughs> he looked like Elvis Presley. So, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to what was going on uh, with Orion then. Um, now in uh, 1998, uh, by that time, everybody knew who Jimmy Ellis was. He was no longer hiding behind a mask or he was actually performing without his mask and going by the name Jimmy Ellis. Uh, but in 1998, uh, he owned a pawn shop down in Alabama that him and his ex-wife owned together. And this part is speculation, uh, but it is said that uh, Jimmy Ellis was going to come forward and tell the world about Elvis and that he was alive. And whether that part is true or not, I don't know. But this part is definitely true. Someone walked into Jimmy Ellis's pawn shop, shot him and his ex-wife at point-blank range with a shotgun, didn't steal anything, didn't touch the cash register. Uh, there was apparently a lot of money in Jimmy's pocket that was not touched. Nobody took any gold jewelry from the pawn shop. They were just shot dead, and this guy left, and it was written up as uh, attempted theft. And 
he was murdered. So wow. whether he was murdered because he was about to spill his guts about Elvis is totally speculation. But that's the Orion story. That and is weird. Orion actually sang on the same label as Elvis which, that Elvis started out on, which was Sun Records. Uh, and I have a couple of his LPs that he put out on the Sun label. He was a very talented man. Now, what? I'm 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 an old school wrestling fan, so I'm confused just about the mask part of this. What kind What kind of mask was this guy wearing on? That's so bizarre. I mean, it's not exactly a normal thing. Where even you know, Kiss wearing face paint is unique. I mean, so wearing a mask is even more strange. What, what kind of mask was this? Uh, this was more of a mask. It didn't cover his whole face. Uh, he had Elvis's hair. Even I mean, he had the black long hair, like styled just like Elvis. And you could see his jawline and his nose. The masks that he wore on stage were more like uh, elaborate uh, Lone Ranger masks. Okay. You know, uh, they were decorated. They just covered the eye and jaw area. You could see the rest of him fine. But when you're on stage, you have it's dark in a concert hall. It's, you have flashing lights. He had enough Elvis traits that him and Elvis could have traded places on stage. And it's a possibility. You know, I don't know if that happened or not. But there were several people that mentioned uh, about the sweat stains and him coming right back out with his clothes were dry. And, well, something was going on. I don't know what. Here's a here, – we're going to, again, break the fourth wall a little bit. Here's just sort of a weird question that popped into my head as we've been talking today. What is it about Elvis that, that causes all of the impersonators? It seems like there's only a handful of celebrities, maybe Marilyn Monroe and, and uh, Michael Jackson or something, but otherwise uh, – there's, there's sort of the only a handful of iconic uh, characters that that lend themselves to a myriad of celebrities, uh, a myriad of impersonators. What what is it about Elvis that kind of causes that? Well, you know, Elvis was the greatest rags to riches story ever. You know, he came dirt poor. His his family and him were kicked out of the projects. Uh, you know, I mean. They they came from absolute nothing. Uh, they couldn't afford to eat. They, they Elvis started out trying to drive a truck uh, for Crown Electric Company. Um, they had nothing, and he went to the greatest entertainer that has ever lived. I mean, who doesn't know the name Elvis anywhere? Yeah. He, you know, he before Elvis, we had what what, what do we what do we have? Uh, jazz, rhythm and blues. You know, he came in and he created something that has completely changed the course of history as far as music goes, and people remember that. People know the struggles he went through to get to where we are now, you know, yeah. musically, what what he created, and um, there was such electricity. People talked about going to Elvis concerts and the electricity you felt in the air and what an entertainer he was, and um, they're trying to get a piece of that. They're trying to feel a small piece of that by going to see the Elvis tribute artist, and there are some very good ones out there, but that, I think they're they're reaching to for that feeling again, you know. Okay. Um, okay. So now we've kind of established here the uh, the Elvis death, August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven. Then it's percolating in the underground this discussion, and then of course ever the opportunists here in nineteen seventy nine, Geraldo Rivera, he has the Elvis cover-up segment on 2020. That probably uh, got this into the minds of millions of people that probably hadn't even considered the Elvis death hoax theory yet or even heard about it, right? That is correct, yes. That put it on the map, essentially, is kind of the, the start of it all. And then there's this wave of books, as you point out, 
in the timeline throughout the 80s. You got Orion, this uh, one 1935, Where Are You? Uh, Memphis Mystery, Requiem, Requiem for Elvis, Fairy Tale, Is Elvis Alive? Uh, the Death of Elvis, What Really Happened in 1991. So amazingly, throughout the 80s, all these books are coming out about the, the Elvis death hoax. Correct. And that's when the flame was lit that I was talking about. That's when it really took off. And that's when I got involved. So, so clearly there was interest in all this. And Correct. It's pretty remarkable, and I'm sure over the course of all this time, then, it, then there's other TV segments and stuff like that about about this whole story. Right. Yeah, there's been several. Uh, at this point, there's been many. So, <laughs> there were several then, yeah. Yeah, we could almost call this probably the peak uh, period for the Elvis uh, death hoax theory. Now, we're, what was the sort of the mainstream opinion on all this? Is that really when all the the – the uh, lack of respect came from, you know, that that time period where they were sort of like, get a load of this, and then they then they talk about it. Yeah, it was. It that is where they first started trying to make a joke out of all of this, and and they succeeded in you know in certain groups. Um, now, of course, Bill Bixby did his special in 1992, and the, his first special called The Elvis Files. At the end of the show, well, at the beginning of the show, let's back up. At the beginning of the show, he asked the audience, uh, raise your hands, whoever thinks, you know, Elvis is alive, and he got three or four hands, and, and then he had people call in and vote over the phone, and at the end of that special, he asked the audience, you know, who do you think is, do you think Elvis is alive, and just about everybody raised their hands, and it, the poll that they did over the phone showed that Eighty-four percent of the people who watched the special and actually listened to the evidence believed Elvis was alive. So at that point, we had eighty-four percent of the people calling in <laughs> that believed Elvis was alive from the show. And that's where I think some people got nervous. They started trying to turn this into a big joke. They, if you were trying to hide a secret like this, and you had eighty-four percent of the people starting to believe you were lying, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think I think that that they purposely tried to turn this thing around. Okay. All right. I see what you're saying. So, so it's growing. It's growing throughout the '80s. It kind of peaks, I guess. I guess in the early '90s, and then then there's the backlash about it all. Right. That, that kind of makes sense. Now, to circle back to the '79 uh, Geraldo segment, what was the tenor of all that? Was he sort of uh, presenting this? Uh, that he like, well, hey, listen, here's what's going on. People are saying this kind of thing. Geraldo's whole thing was. He was pointing out a lot of the same discrepancies that the rest of us use when we're trying to back up Elvis is alive. Now, he was listing the discrepancies of what happened when he was found, the stories that were told. Uh, you know, there's even they were even questioning what book he was reading when he died. And but they they took all of the same type of discrepancies and evidence and information, and instead of coming to the conclusion on their show that Elvis is still alive. They used it to come to the conclusion Elvis was murdered. Ah. And, and that's where Geraldo was trying to take this. I have the entire transcript of that show okay. uh, that was sent to me, and it's typed up. But the, Geraldo was trying to point to 
you know, his question about the whole 2020 special was, was Elvis murdered? Ah, uh, interesting. Okay, that's the cover-up part of the Elvis cover-up, that he's saying right. the cover-up <laughs> was murder. Interesting. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So then everyone started looking at this whole thing in a, in a fresh light, and that's kind of where the additional aspect of the death hoax came about. Exactly. Now, what I thought was fascinating here in the timeline, it's just a tiny little piece, but uh, as someone who's explored this topic with other guests, particularly my good friend Nick Redfern, I had to ask you about this. You have here in the late 1980s, there's claims of men in black-like characters visiting Elvis fan clubs on two continents and threatening them, presumably to stop talking about the uh, is Elvis alive theory. So tell me uh, this story here. There have been several reports of that, and one of the main uh, reports, one of the people that did not mind coming forward with this is the president of the oldest Elvis fan club. Her name is Maria Columbus. She came forward, and she told the story about how the men in suits, which it sounds to me like the same men in suits that made the books disappear from bookstores. They didn't want the story out. You know, Gail Giorgio's book disappeared. Uh, Monty Nicholson's book disappeared was no longer sold in stores. Sounds like it's kind of the same group of men that were trying to stop newsletters in fan clubs because uh, some of the believers that Elvis was alive, like Maria Columbus and some of the others, were putting out newsletters within their Elvis fan clubs. You know, back then, fan clubs were different than they are now. You didn't go online and read. and You know, everything came in the mail. Yeah. And they didn't want these mailers going out with uh, – what what I would consider evidence that Elvis is alive. So there were um, several accounts told of where men came and told you know basically tried to scare them into not doing this, which is why I think that's happened a lot, not just with fan clubs, but weird investigators as well. Now, what were these what were these men like? Just like do they seem like government agents? Or were they uh, you know were they did they look like mafia types? I mean, what was the what was the makeup of these MIBs, if you will? According to Maria, they were she she described them as being like uh, CIA agents, which is a term she used. she didn't know they were CIA agents or FBI or whatever. But she said they had the earpieces, the dark suits, and she described them as looking like what she would consider CIA agents looking like, not what you would consider a mobster looking like. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so because she she would she described the earpieces that they wore. Okay, yeah, so so a little more uh, sharp, let's say. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. So so we're 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 chugging along here on the evolution of this story. You know, it's it's percolating in the underground. The books explode. People are really talking about it. Then then these researchers get together and they put together this Presley Commission. Is this sort of like the best investigation into the whole thing? Is this supposed to be like the definitive answer to uh, to the is Elvis alive question? It was supposed to be the definitive thing, yes. Uh, Phil Aitchinson, who was the head of the commission, uh, he actually did some interviews on television, pushing the information that they, the commission had decided on. The Presley report is something, it's funny that you bring it up, because I have been trying to find a copy of this. It came out in 1994 mm-hmm. and immediately disappeared. I mean, it's, it's still mentioned on Amazon, but it says, not available. You can't get it. Uh, it's mentioned that it is a book, but you can't get it. And I've been trying to get my hands on a copy of this for 19 years, and I mean struggling. I've tried every avenue I could think of, 
And I just got a copy this year. Oh, wow. And uh, this first time I've actually got to read everything. And, of course, I've seen a lot of the bits and pieces of information in there, but I've never had it all together. And there's a lot of stuff in there I didn't have. There's actually a picture in there of what was supposed to be one of Elvis's safe houses where he stayed after August 77 and some things I hadn't seen before. But it took me 19 years to find a copy of this thing. My God. You still can't get it. I mean, if anybody else out there knows how they can get a copy, good luck. (laughs) Very hard. <laughs> but that makes that, that that's that's maddening though. I mean, aren't these uh, uh, that says that speaks to the ineffectiveness of the movement in a way. If this is the definitive answer to the "Is Elvis Alive?" question, and no one can get a, a copy of it, well, that, 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 I don't understand. I guess I'm, I'm befuddled. Well, the thing is, what kind of powers are you going up against? If Elvis is in witness protection program, then it's the government's job to make sure he stays safe and hidden. So. Uh, how much power are you actually fighting? You're fighting possibly the federal government. You're fighting Elvis Presley Enterprises because they're certainly making a lot more money with him being dead than they would be if he hadn't died. Yeah. Um, so they're not going to want him back. <laughs> you know. Uh, so what kind of powers are you fighting that can, you know, they if they can make Gilbert Giorgio's book disappear and they can make Monty Nicholson's book disappear, then they could certainly make the Presley report disappear I su- and they pretty much have it's a pretty obscure thing to find yeah i suppose now i i don't suggest that you do this because you don't probably own the co- I'm, almost, I'm positive you don't own the copyright to the uh to the report but uh no. hopefully someone who's listening does one of the other investigators or whoever was behind the whole thing if it's not in the hands of a publishing house and i i say i challenge you i say to those folks put it online then if you own the rights to the book and, and you're worried about people not being able to get their hands on it and it's being taken down, just put it online. It'll go viral everywhere amongst folks, and it'll never go away. So, uh, you know, we need that. I think that's a that would be a critical uh, turn of events. So if you're listening, uh, Gail Brewer, Giorgio, or whoever uh, owns the rights to this whole thing, put it out there so we all can get our hands on it and look at it. Uh, are you friendly with these folks who are in, you know, these legends, let's call them, of the Elvis uh, death hoax movement? Because you came in in 88. They were doing it like 11 years ahead of time. Are you, do you know them? Couldn't you have called them up to get the book? Actually, uh, the only one that I have spoken to personally is Gail Brewer Giorgio. Me and her used to work together pretty closely on this. She sent me an actual Kodak copy of the Pool House picture on Kodak paper. Uh, she sent me a picture that used to be on display at Graceland of uh, a watch, a gold watch that used to be on display. And the inscription on the watch said to uh, Colonel Parker from Elvis, and then it said 1956 to 1980. And, of course, this watch had disappeared since then. Nobody knows where it is, uh, but I have a photo of it that Gail personally sent me. Uh, also on Kodak paper, and, you know, why it would have been inscribed 1956 to 1980 if he died in 1977, we don't know, but me and Gail worked together for a long time through the phone. I never got to meet her in person, but we called each other, and she gave me a little direction when I wrote my book and helped me, and then uh, I lost contact with Gail. From what I understand now, from what some people have told me, she is uh, ill 
she was going she was going blind. Uh, oh, she has sorry. retired, and I have not been able to get a new phone number for her uh, to talk to her anymore. And I don't know how to contact uh, Monty Nicholson or Phil Aitchison or anybody except maybe through the internet, and I haven't had any luck with that. So. Okay. That's too bad. So it sounds like a kind of a disparate community in a way. You're, you're carrying the torch here for these folks who, uh, you know, you're standing on their shoulders, I suppose, right? Right. And that's why I came up with the name that I came. You know, we had uh, the Presley Commission, the Presley Report, and I feel like I was carrying the torch on for these people. And so I came up with the Presley assignment because I feel like it's an assignment that I need to complete. So There you go. Nice. That's how I came up with this. So. <laughs> Okay, now I thought this was interesting. We we follow uh, the evolution of all this, and, and and clearly you have a fantastic overview of it all because right on the front page of the ElvisConspiracy.webs.com website, you say right here in the 1990s a lot of things changed in the Elvis conspiracy world. And having looked at the timeline, it's it's clear it seems to it seems to kind of slow down quite a bit. All these books are coming out in the 80s. The special happens in the 90s. And then it, it's sort of this this lull in all this stuff. And you point out that uh, the markers are on Graceland. Uh, they get changed probably because of all the hype around the, the uh, misspelling. Uh, people right. start changing their stories. Uh, evidence mm-hmm. starts getting discredited. Bill Bixby changes his story. Uh, investigators and eyewitnesses either disappeared or died. Talk about that and just sort of talk about the malaise that befell the community in the 90s. Well, one of the one of the things is I, I spoke to you earlier about the two paramedics that went to Graceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, we spoke about Jimmy Ellis or Orion being uh, murdered. Uh, one of the paramedics uh, that they both said it was not Elvis on the floor, but you have one that stories say. Of course, I did not know that any of these gentlemen. But the stories are that one of them was going to come forward and, and, and tell that was not Elvis and, and tell us what he had found out about this since it all came down when he got to the hospital. And he was pushed out of an airplane. Oh God. <laughs> so, yeah, he was, he was murdered. Um, the other one has since died on his own, but, um, there was a lot of strange things that happened during that time period. Um, yes, all of the markers around Graceland in the 1990s, uh, from from 1977 until the 1990s, they all had the single A spelling of Aaron, and they've all been changed to match the grave marker. They've, every one has been changed to the double A spelling, and that happened in the 90s when this really took off. Interesting. Is it possible uh, if we're using the idea that the misspelling indicates that the grave is empty, is it possible then that maybe he died in the 90s and then they put the body in there and then they adjusted the gravestone because it was now accurate? It's not impossible. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you think, Mickey. (laughs) Well, have have you ever thought of that, though? No, actually, I hadn't even considered uh, them doing it for that reason. Uh, I, I, I always assumed that it was done to put to rest any confusion as to why they would have been spelled differently than the grave itself. Okay. So, well, Give that some thought. Float that one out there. See what people think. That's yeah. that's my that's my Elvis uh, death theory. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you, you mentioned Jimmy Ellis, and you mentioned the guy who got pushed out of the airplane. Are there a lot more uh, mysterious deaths, or you say disappearances, too? Uh, what, what, what does that all mean? People uh, just 
just just drop out of the field? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as we uh, Monty Nicholson wrote uh, the Presley arrangement, uh, he did several interviews, uh, some of which are on my YouTube channel, uh, talking about uh, mysterious things that happened to him, uh, photos that disappeared. And Monty has since disappeared. I mean, he hasn't written anything. He hasn't showed up in interviews for, I don't know how long, maybe 20 years or more. Um, I mean, a lot of people just dropped out of investigating this altogether, that were really diehard into it at one point. Strange. Now, do we ever, do they ever give any indication? I suppose if they dropped out, they don't give any indication, but do they ever sort of uh, reach out to anybody years later and be like, oh, you know, it wasn't worth it, or uh, I got threatened, or I got paid off, or anything like that? I suppose we would know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I would think so. No, I haven't heard of any uh, anything like that. They just quit. <laughs> No, no explanation. Maybe someday I'll hear that you've disappeared, and then I'll find out that you've actually just been given like a million dollars by <laughs> the Presley estate to quiet down. <laughs> they haven't tried that in the last 25 years, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, who knows what they're waiting for. Um, so, yeah, so it goes kind of quiet in, in the 90s, which I think is interesting, because also it's kind of weird, because uh, the 90s were like this big boom for the paranormal and everything, so... It's odd that the Elvis thing goes down under, but I suppose in a way it isn't that odd because it got overshadowed by X-Files and UFOs and Bigfoot and, and sort of paranormalia, and therefore this sort of uh, moves into the alternative history realm. Right. Yeah, I think so. So the 90s is in a way the nadir. Then we get this the emergence of the Internet, which I'm sure really changed the whole face of uh, the Is Elvis Alive research community in a way because it changed everything beyond just the paranormal and the esoteric, it changed the world. So I guess talk a little bit from your perspective on how the explosion of the Internet changed this research community. Wow. I, you would think, and I've, I've mentioned this to people before, you would think that it would have made things easier. <laughs> uh, but it was actually easier uh, in the 80s. Um, there are a lot of people being fooled and confused these days. Um, you have this Jesse character um, that we talked about earlier that has fooled, I don't know how many people. He has a lot of followers, even though the uh, DNA evidence proves otherwise. You have a lot of people uh, that think he's Elvis. There's another gentleman named John Cotner who has done multiple YouTube videos singing and sounding like Elvis. And a lot of people think that he's Elvis. The problem is all of his videos are done to still pictures. You never actually see his lips moving. You don't know who's doing the singing. Hmm. You see still pictures of who he says is him with a voice singing that sounds like Elvis. And it has actually gotten more complicated because <clears throat> if you knew how many messages I got on a daily basis of people telling me uh, Elvis is on Facebook under the name uh, John Burroughs. Elvis is on Facebook under the name Jesse Presley. He's on Facebook <laughs> under the, and, and he's got like 700 Facebook accounts. <laughs> and it's actually made things more complicated than they were back when you, when you just had, uh, you had to go through actual documentation and photographs. Yeah. Instead of listening to all of this hype. I can imagine, yeah, the way you say that makes me think of the, uh, you know, I kind of cut my teeth on the UFO phenomenon. It's kind of the same way. It's like you, you can't, 
you know, you can't uh, turn on your internet without being bombarded with some ridiculous new UFO picture. So I can imagine it's kind of the same with the Elvis thing. You, you can't escape it. Yeah, I get pictures every day sent to me. Uh, all of a sudden, every man on the planet who has gray hair and a gray beard has became Elvis. And I people go out and take pictures of just anybody that looks like Santa Claus and send them to me and say, hey, could this be Elvis? I'm like, oh, come on. I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that raises uh, a, another sort of uh, meme of the entire Elvis death hoax uh, theory, and that is the, you know, it, it's become cliched almost, the Elvis sightings. Um, right. You know, talk a little bit about that phenomenon, because it certainly is a phenomenon. It's it's not something that's just a one-off thing. I mean, this is uh, something that's kind of gone on and on and on uh, over the last 35 years. You know, it is so hard to say which ones may be legitimate, because there are probably hundreds of them. Um, I can tell you that the ones I find to be legitimate personally are the ones from the late 80s in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, it was reported that Elvis had bought an office building there. And actually, Elvis actually sat on stage one time uh, before he supposedly passed uh, that he, he was joking with the audience and said, you know, I'm living in Kalamazoo, Michigan now. And it, nobody knew what the heck he said that for. But there were reporting uh, reports that he had bought an office building in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and that has since become a joke too. Because you have people uh, that got on TV saying, "Yeah, Elvis came to Burger King in Kalamazoo and ordered a Whopper with no onions and all this stuff," and they turned it into a joke. But there was a lady named Kelly Burgess that was big into the investigation, and she heard about this office building back in the '80s, and she went to it, and she went in. And she started walking around searching, and she claims that she walked into an office, and Elvis was there, and she saw him. Uh, she did a, a very long interview on this that the transcript is online. She has since passed away, but the transcript is in several places if you Google it, and it's on my website. But <clears throat> I think that was legitimate. Uh, there's an office building in Kalamazoo, Michigan to this day uh, under the name Elvis Presley. There are properties behind Graceland. Now, Graceland itself is uh, the taxes on it that are paid every year are paid. Uh, if you if you search the court documents, they're paid by EPE, which is Elvis Presley Enterprises. But there's some properties behind Graceland with trailers on them that are still being paid under the name Elvis Presley, not EPE. Hmm. Um, but I think that was a legitimate sighting. There was another lady that spotted who she thought was Elvis uh, in a restaurant. And I forget what city this was in, but the video, they recreated the whole thing using Johnny Hara, who was a Elvis impersonator. And they used him in the video to kind of recreate for television. Um, but they have the actual photograph that she took of the person she took pictures of, not Johnny. But I think that was a legitimate. But I think most are wishful thinking or... Uh, Jokes being played, things like that. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a couple legitimate ones out there. Yeah, and like you said, uh, a, a personal encounter with a stranger, you can't really do much more than, you know, with that. So it's hard to right. really do much. It's too bad that, you know, like I said, it's become cliched at this point, the Elvis sighting. So it's just another stab at this poor... 
uh, bemoan the theory. I feel I feel bad for the Elvis death hoax theory in a lot of ways. It's it, it gets kicked while it's down too often. I agree. <laughs> I'm sure I know you do. <laughs> now I do I do have to take the task though the Elvis death hoax theory because in the in the timeline here, there's one, there's one point. Now, every theory has crazy elements to it and, and people who go a little overboard. And in, in the timeline, it says, the motion pictures Home Alone and Finding Graceland are widely discussed on message boards. A bearded Elvis allegedly appears in Home Alone, while in Finding Graceland, many believe the hobo seen on the train is also Elvis. I, I mean, that feels like it's just kind of reaching for straws, though, don't you think? We, we kind of don't need any more of that kind of discussion, right? Right. The, uh, the uh, the hobo thing is, you know, I don't know why anybody ever thought that was him uh, because you can't tell anything from still pictures that you freeze from the movie. Uh, now, the scene from Home Alone in the airport, this guy looks like Elvis. I mean, I don't – nobody has ever came forward and said who he really is, to my knowledge. He does look like Elvis. I do have a video of it on yeah. my YouTube channel for people to check out and, you know, make their own decision on that. But, you know, we don't have anything to back any of this up, so I don't push the issue. Right, you know, right. Uh, it seems kind of like, like it's, it's already a, a put-upon theory, and this, that does, that, that's the kind of thing that doesn't seem to help much, because uh, right. that's when people's minds totally close to the whole thing, because they can't wrap their mind around that. And, exactly. You know, so it's a, tough, it's a tough nugget to the whole thing. Now, that's all going on in the in the 2000s. People are talking about it on the Internet and stuff. It's sort of entrenched itself in the mind of uh, America, if not the world. People know about the Elvis death hoax theory. Then this whole DNA thing explodes. And I'm surprised, I guess, to hear about the DNA evidence and find out that it really, A, didn't get much publicity as far as I can tell. I never really heard anything about it. And, yeah. B, that it hasn't really been followed up upon Again, it, this this should this should seriously break this thing open in a big way, but it obviously didn't do the trick, right? Why? Yeah, it, it didn't. Well, you know, these things keep getting buried deep, covered up. Uh, you know, Fox News broadcast this thing. It should have exploded that day, really. And but they never. You know, most stories that you'll see on Fox News, if it's a big story, they're going to replay it eight thousand times. You know, and this one was shown one time. It disappeared. People forgot about it. Uh, <clears throat> it, you know, there's some huge cover-ups going on. You know, why why didn't this explode? That's what I want to. I wish I knew how to follow up and do my own test there. Yeah. <laughs> wish I knew how to do that. Yeah, that would be yeah. ideal if we could. If you know, further DNA testing uh, would be would be really a uh, a critical step that could be yeah. uh, taken to try and get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I would love to do that and see how far I can carry it, where the ball got dropped, you know, in the past. I would like to see how far I could push it before they tried to make it disappear or whatever. Or make but, you disappear. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, 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 they God. don't want to do that. I have things in a safe deposit box that they don't want to <laughs> the, to be found out about. So <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. Uh, now you're, you've tempted me way too much, Mickey. What, what, I know you don't want to say because that's the insurance on your life. But <laughs> give me a hint as to what could be what could be uh, secreted away. Uh, you know that 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 you know would come out in the event of your demise uh, that we should know about. We, oh, I have. A, it's just uh, it's just things that 
that back up everything I've already said. Okay. But it, you know, it's proof that can back things up. It's not just hearsay. It's not just, so, uh, <laughs> you know. All right. Now, uh, okay. I, I, no, I, I realize. <laughs> <laughs> I realized having asked you that, that I wasn't going to get an actual answer. So, <laughs> Now, this is kind of a ridiculous question, but I suppose I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it. You've been doing this for 25 years. Have you ever heard from anybody who claims to be Elvis, uh, you know, thanking you for your work, encouraging you to do your work further? Maybe it's someone who's associated with Elvis, maybe not Elvis himself. Have you gotten any sort of positive uh, info- reinforcement from anyone who claims to be connected to the whole thing? Not anybody that I can. Uh, let me put it this way. I Not from him himself and not from anybody I could substantiate that they are who they say they are. I get uh, messages and calls from people that claim to be his illegitimate kids that want to back me up and help me out. And just like there are 700 Elvises on Facebook, Elvis has got 200 children. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not anything uh, that you can really – I have no proof to, as to who these people are or anything. Uh, <clears throat> I have had phone calls from people saying, hey, good job, like what you're doing. You know, I'm Ken to Elvis, but nobody's ever sent me any proof to who they are. So, um, And then the, the people that are directly involved, you know, like Priscilla, Lisa Marie, Ginger, they're not going to call and thank me. <laughs> Yeah, they're trying exactly. to keep this quiet, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And presumably, they're not going to agree to a DNA uh, sample or anything crazy like that. Right. So <laughs> we're up against the wall on that one as well. Um, so then the timeline uh, seems like you put it up around the the late aughts because it kind of peters out around the uh, 2006 2007 period where there's talk of various uh, upcoming books and stuff from various researchers. What's been going on, you know, in the period from 06, 07 to, uh, you know, here today on November 12th, 2013? Unfortunately, uh, that's where I'm trying to turn things around now. I've gotten really more involved even more than I used to be in the last year because I'm wanting to turn this thing around because it hit a brick wall. It stopped uh, around the time you're talking. Uh, since then, it's, it's mainly been Facebook groups and online news groups, forums, and they get so ridiculous with the things they talk about that I get confused trying to go in there and read things about, you know, uh, it's just gotten out of hand. Uh, people are blowing things out of proportion. You know, people are, so many people on there are talking about Elvis's twin brother never really died. He's alive. And, you know, it just goes, so many different directions now that I've gotten more involved in the last year than I even used to be because I want to get this thing back on track. It's off track. <laughs> yeah, it seems and, that way. And we and we have hit a brick wall because of these things. So I want to change that. All right, all right. Well, you're doing a good job so far. I mean, you're you're really, uh, like I said, you're carrying the torch for for this story in a big way. And you do mention you kind of, I kind of feel. What you're getting at here, because you say uh, uh, on the website, you posted this on, on Valentine's Day 2013, so uh, February 14th, about about five months ago, I think. Uh, no, what, what is it today? The 11th. So about nine months ago. Yep. That you say, uh, 
if anyone has any logical ideas of what our next step should be, please let me know. I don't want to still be doing this in another 25 years. But I can imagine it must be exhausting in a way to have continued this for so long. Yes, it is. You, you're, you hit the nail on the head with that one, Tim. Um, it's like, you know, I, I have a full-time job where I work. Uh, I consider this my full-time job and my other job the place I have to go to pay bills. But I spend as much time doing this as I do going to actual my actual job. So it is exhausting because there's a lot of hours put into all of this. So Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now what you say you know, you're asking here for logical ideas on what the next step should be. What do you think what do you personally think that next step should be? You know, do you have any ideas uh about where this needs to go next? There's not much you can really do. It's a hard real mystery to crack in a lot of ways. It is because at this point, we we already have two DNA tests that much of the public that are on the other side refuse to believe was legitimate. So if you don't believe DNA testing, where do you go from there? Because that's a very hard thing to dispute. So where do you go from there? Do you actually have to go out and find Elvis and, and get his fingerprints on a glass that where he's been drinking something and say, hey, now... I mean, it's so hard to go to the next step because everything has been touched on at this point and you still have people that refuse to believe the evidence. So the next step is is so difficult to come up. That's the reason I ask people on the website, hey, (laughs) there's probably people out there a lot smarter than me. What should the next step be? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, folks, send in your ideas if you have any. Now, I thought about that. Has there been any consideration to some kind of class action lawsuit from Elvis fans against Graceland or Elvis Presley Enterprises, you know, for fraud or defrauding the public, uh, you know, maybe by selling memorial items uh, revolving around Elvis if he's actually faked his death? Maybe there's some kind of grounds for a lawsuit there. Have you got got even any thought of that? Yeah, I've thought about it. There hasn't been any – you would have to have money. First of all, yeah. you would be. This is something that would be dragged out in court for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been lawsuits from people that claim to be kin to Elvis that are trying to get DNA from Lisa Marie to prove that they are kin. Uh, there's this lady that calls herself Eliza Presley that uh, says she's a half sister to Elvis. She wants to match DNA. She has taken this to court two or three times, and they actually did open the case. They actually did uh, reopen the estate of Elvis Presley Enterprises, and then it got kicked out of court because the laws changed in the state to where that particular court didn't handle this kind of case anymore, and she was supposed to start over, and I mean, these things can be dragged out longer than I'm going to live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so it's hard to, it's a very hard thing to do. Okay. That seemed to be my only uh, general idea here for uh, what, what what kind of recourse to take next, because it is a difficult, uh, it is a very difficult story, so. It very, yes, it, it very much is so, yes. <laughs> and generally, you know, we kind of close the program here uh, with the what's next for you, and we're, we're kind of stumped on that here just talking to you and I, but what's next for Mickey Moran? What are, you, what are you planning on doing next? You just launched this YouTube channel recently, so you're, you're putting out the YouTube videos, you're trying to raise awareness again, maybe get a fresh start on uh, the Elvis death hoax theory, right? Correct. Like I say, I, I got more into it in the last year. In 2013, I 
really dug more into this. I've done a lot more work on websites, YouTube channels. I've gotten more involved in the, the Presley assignment on Facebook and Twitter. And in 2014, uh, I want to take a trip to Memphis. I want to talk to some people firsthand uh, instead of just reading books. And, you know, I want to talk to retired members of hospital staff that were there. I want to talk to anybody that that might know something, but I would like to take a trip down there and and interview some people one-on-one. And, you know, I don't know what else. In order to raise awareness, what I'm doing now online seems to be all I can do online as far as, you know, my YouTube videos are out there. I describe everything in detail in those. So what is next? Uh, should it be a documentary made for television? I mean, Bill Bixby tried that already, but it was a long time ago. So I've got ideas floating in my head, and I don't know which direction to go in yet, but I do want 2014 to put this back in the mainstream and take away the the, the parts of it that were turned into jokes and get it back on track. Exactly. There you go. Erase the stigma surrounding the Elvis death hoax theory. What's the Now, I've been calling it the Elvis death hoax theory all this time. Is there a preferred nomenclature for for this uh, for the theory in general? Is that okay what I've been saying, or is it something else? Uh, no, I don't think there's anything preferred. I, I use Elvis conspiracy. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I don't think there's a preferred. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably should have asked you that question two hours ago, but... <laughs> I think we're good. All right. And and we should definitely plug here, obviously, ElvisConspiracy.webs.com. There's links all over Banal of America to that. On YouTube, it's the Presley Assignment. So just punch that in on YouTube. And I'm looking right here, folks. If you're if you're looking at the website, go to ElvisConspiracy.webs.com. Scroll down right under the picture of Elvis, the wanted poster, and there is a link to the Google Docs page, which contains Mickey's book, The Elvis Conspiracy Encyclopedia, and then right under that, the FBI files on Elvis. So you can look at both those and educate yourself on the subject. You know, don't just take Mickey's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go look at it yourself. Stop dismissing this story because the mainstream media tells you to. Uh, look at it yourself and make up your own mind, right, Mickey? That's the real message here. Absolutely. That is the real message because this is being covered up by powerful people and in order to learn, we have to do it on our own. Absolutely. That could be the motto of this program in general. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Mickey. I really do appreciate it. You gave us a wealth of time and really helped us put together really uh, a definitive conversation about this Elvis death hoax conspiracy. I've been intrigued by it for a long time, but like I said, I didn't know nearly enough about it until I looked at your work. And now having talked to you, I feel like I can actually talk to somebody else about it and hold my own. And I, I got to give you credit, man. You can tell just from looking at the site and just from talking to you that this is a labor of love. As you said, you're not in this to make money or anything. You're really just trying to get the word out and trying to do good work. And I, I can't give you enough credit, especially standing up against uh, the giggle factor and the skeptics and the powers that be that want to hold this story down. A lot of uh, lesser folks would have turned tail and run, but you've been doing this for 25 years, man. I, I can't give you enough props for that. So thank you so much for coming on with All of America Audio, and please do keep in touch and keep us posted on further developments on this story. I absolutely will, and I want to thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed my time, and uh, I will definitely, uh, if anything new comes along, I'll be getting in touch with you. Awesome. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 8 
Big, big thanks to Mickey Moran for coming on the show and giving us so much time. In fact, that was the longest interview that Mickey Moran has ever done. So kudos to him and big thanks as well. You can find out more from Mickey Moran at thepresleyassignment.com. Pretty simple, all one word, thepresleyassignment.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it would be time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, but I am really shoehorning this episode in to my very packed schedule, and we're going to roll out the holiday special in just a few short days. So the sooner we can turn around and get this program out to folks, the better. And as such, we are going to askew listener feedback here on this edition of the program. However, I definitely want to hear from all of you folks out there and get your thoughts, not only on this episode, but the season so far here on BOA Audio. So here are the ways you can reach out to me. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com, and click the contact button. If you want something a little more interactive, you can join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. You can also find that by clicking the forum button at Banal of America. In addition to those three options, you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. Just punch in Banal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, and I will pop right up. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. And finally, check out Banal of America on Facebook. Just punch in Banal of America. The page will pop right up. Lots of great discussions going on there regarding the program, future episodes, past episodes, and esoteric news. So feel free to like Banal of America on Facebook. Up next, please allow me to take a moment and thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our webmaster Ray Weigel, and our graphics guru Jeremy Boston. At BOA right now, we've got an all-new Trickster's Realm from Regan Lee, and I'm under the impression that Bruce Pretty will have an all-new esoteric apostate coming at you in the not-too-distant future as well. Plus, more columns from the BOA staff, and hopefully, once my schedule clears up a little bit, I can start doing some writing again at Banal of America. I have a lot of things to say, but not much time to say it, so hopefully in 2014, those circumstances will have changed. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA audio listeners and ask you to help us out via a donation to the BOA franchise. How do you do that? That's simple. Head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. It's right there on the right-hand side of the screen. 
That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust PayPal and you want to make a donation via snail mail, you're in luck because we have the Banal of America P.O. Box. And the address for that is Tim Banal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866. And you can find the complete address at Banal of America right under the PayPal button. If you do mail us a donation, folks, please make it payable to Tim Banal and not Banal of America. And please include some form of correspondence so I can reach out to you and thank you for your donation. Once again, it bears repeating, my friends, no donation is too small and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of BOA Audio, as I said, it should be coming at you in a few short days, hopefully December 22nd, December 23rd or so. And with those dates in mind, it should come as no surprise that the next edition of BOA Audio is the ninth annual BOA Audio Holiday Special featuring the iconic Stanton Friedman. I'm happy to report that the ninth annual BOA Audio Holiday Special has been recorded. It is in the books, and it is almost ready to be unleashed upon the BOA Audio listeners. Once again, we turned the vast majority of the program over to listener-submitted questions, and we got a ton of questions from BOA Audio listeners I believe at the end of the special, we clocked in at 20 submitted questions and then a whole bunch of additional questions that sort of stemmed from Stanton's answers to those questions. So it's a jam-packed addition to the program, covering a whole bunch of areas that I never would have thought to ask Stanton Friedman, but the BOA Audio listeners were curious to know about stuff like crop circles, the private space industry, and even Bigfoot are genres that are explored with the father of modern-day ufology, Stanton Friedman, on the ninth annual BOA Audio Holiday Special. It is the holiday tradition like no other. It is BOA Audio's celebration of the season with the iconic Stanton Friedman coming at you in just a few short days at Banal of America. Stay tuned, my friends. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks once again to Mickey Moran. Check out the Presley assignment, folks. You definitely want to dig on into that. And, of course, enormous thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA audio listeners who have supported this program through thick and thin. This has been a season for the books so far, and it's only getting wilder and weirder as the time goes on. Thank you for your enduring support of this program, and thank you once again for making BOA audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim and all, thanking you for listening and signing off.